Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language, writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, I have a segment about why we don't always pronounce the T's in the middle of words like kitten and mitten. Another segment about the difference between the words sneaked and snuck, and a familect story about a basketball word. I also have a quick correction. In the show about words from the Marvel Universe, I spent hours trying to make sure I pronounced all the characters' names and foreign words right, and then I mispronounced the name for the part of your body that contains your vocal cords. It's spelled L-A-R-Y-N-X, and it's pronounced larynx. Larynx. It's Greek and probably comes from the word for throat, although experts aren't certain. Thanks to a listener from Los Angeles, California, for kindly pointing out my error. I was going to thank you by name, but then as I was just looking at your name, I was afraid I'd mispronounce it. Two of our listeners wrote in recently to ask about a speech pattern they'd noticed. The habit of people dropping the T sound in words like Putin or Mitten. They wondered if this was a regional dialect, a generational one, or something else. Here's what we discovered. The phenomenon itself is known as T-glottalization. It occurs when a speaker swallows the T sound in a word rather than speaking it aloud. We hear it when words like kitten and water are pronounced as kitten and water. Let's talk about how this happens and whether we should expect more of it. First of all, glottalization is a normal thing that people do when they talk. It occurs when our vocal folds come together to stop the flow of air and then suddenly open. If you say, uh-oh, a glottal stop occurs right after the uh and before the o. Oh. Try it. You'll feel a tightness in your throat when you say uh that's released when you say oh, uh-oh. That's a glottal stop. We do this all the time without realizing it. For example, instead of carefully telling your friend, I can't jump very high, with an emphasis on the T in can't, you might say, I can't jump very high. Instead of saying, start your engines, with a hard T at the end of start, you might say, start your engines. Without getting into too many linguistic details, we do this because it's hard to aspirate certain consonants when they fall at the end of a word. We aspirate the P at the beginning of purse all day long, but we swallow it at the end of stop, like when we say stop your bellowing. We aspirate the T at the beginning of toy, but swallow it at the end of hot, as in it's hot outside. T glottalization tends to be more noticeable when it happens in the middle of a word. For example, a hallmark of British Cockney speech is dropping T's in the middle of words. I won't get this perfect, but I'm going to do my best. Instead of getting a bottle of water, you might be getting a bottle of water. Instead of waiting for a letter, you might be waiting for a letter. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Notice that the T is always dropped on the non-stressed syllable in a word. Take the word potato. There are two T sounds. If you were glottalizing the word, you'd do it on the second T, which falls in the non-stressed syllable, the last one, pateo. If you were fully pronouncing the T's in those words, your tongue would touch the roof of your mouth, and the T sound would pop out in a puff of air. 
That's called aspiration. Try it by saying water and make sure you pronounce the T. You can feel your tongue touch the very front of your mouth and a little puff of air that accompanies the T. Now, try glottalizing it without emphasizing the T in the middle. Water. You can feel your tongue hovering right in the middle of your mouth instead. Water. The T glottalization that our readers wrote in about wasn't heard in Britain. It was heard in the United States. So, what's the deal with that? Our guest writer for this post, Samantha Enslin, says that she noticed this happening more and more over the last 10 years. She lives in Dayton, Ohio, and says that people regularly pronounce the city as Dayton instead of Dayton. She's also noticed her teenagers pronouncing words like important and butter as important and butter. And it seems that Sam isn't the only person noticing this. A study in the journal American Speech, examining the dialect of Vermonters, noticed that some traditional pronunciations were disappearing. Cow for cow, for example, is declining. But that the dropping T's is increasing. The researchers spotted it in pronunciations like mountain for mountain and Vermont for Vermont. In another study conducted in the western United States, researchers found that young female speakers were more likely to use glottal stops than other groups they studied. The researchers suggested their findings may indicate that a broader change in pronunciation is afoot. They noticed that, quote, the literature on sociolinguistic change is replete with studies in which young women are on the cutting edge of language change, unquote. And that's no surprise to people who borrowed phrases like as if and way harsh from movies like Clueless and Legally Blonde. In answer to the biggest question of all, why are people dropping their T's, we have a disappointing answer. Nobody really knows. Standard pronunciation across a region, even a country, changes gradually and is affected by countless untold causes. In the 400 years since English settlers first came to North America, what we call a British accent morphed into an American accent, and that accent in turn birthed countless others, from the distinct dialects we hear in New York City and Dallas to the ones we hear in New Orleans and Minneapolis. T-glottalization can sound grating or slangy to some listeners today. But someday, it may be the way all of us speak, and by that time, no doubt there will be yet another new pronunciation tick that's driving everyone to distraction. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as DragonflyEdit. A listener named Salome from Santa Clara, California, wrote, I have a question regarding the word sneaked versus snuck. I religiously hammer into my students' heads that snuck is not a word, but I hear it used all the time in public speaking and in the media. My students have even noticed the instances and have asked me to explain. Can you help? Salome is right that sneaked has been considered the proper form of the word for a long time. But she and her students are also onto something when they notice people using snuck out in the world. The previous edition of Garner's Modern American Usage put snuck for sneaked at stage three on his language change index, which means it was widespread but still avoided in careful usage. 
but the most current edition, published in 2016, puts it at stage four, which means it's now ubiquitous, but still objected to on cogent grounds by a few diehard snoots, as he puts it. So, as people have been predicting and noticing for a while, snuck is becoming more popular, especially in American English. And this is definitely more of an American thing than a British thing. Snuck first appeared in American English in the late 1800s. But it wasn't until about 1970 that it started really gaining popularity in both Britain and the United States. But it's still used much more often by Americans than the British, which you can see in graphs from the Google Book Corpus that I'll put on the website at quickanddirtytips.com. The popularity of Snuck stands out even more in the BYU TV Corpus, which is a database you can search that has words from 75,000 TV episodes from the 1950s till today. It gives you more of an idea of what's popular or common in informal English as compared to looking at what gets published in Google Books. And Snuck is dramatically more popular than Sneaked on TV. There were more than 2,200 instances of Snuck, but only 251 of Sneaked. And the change over time is also dramatic. The last time Sneaked showed up at all in the TV database was in 2005. But the use of Snuck has grown every decade since the 1960s and had more than half its uses from 2010 onward. Snuck is just killing Sneaked on TV, and it's only growing in popularity. And again, that seems to be American TV. Australian and New Zealand TV usage seems to be about the same as the U.S. usage. Snuck is a tiny bit less popular there, but Snuck is dramatically less popular on British TV. The Brits seem to be sticking with Sneaked. One thing that's especially interesting about the way this verb is changing is that it's going from being a regular verb to an irregular verb. The past tense form of regular verbs end with ed. They're verbs like walked, cheered, and rotated. Instead of adding ed to the end, irregular verbs have a whole different spelling for their past tense. They're verbs like went for the past tense of go, ran for the past tense of run, and drank for the past tense of drink. We all like patterns, and conventional wisdom says that English verbs tend to become regular over time. For example, when you're talking about chiding someone in the past, scolding them, we used to say we chode them, but now we say we chided them. That's a verb that became regular. We now make it past tense by putting ed on the end. But sneak is doing the opposite. It's getting its own different past tense spelling, becoming irregular, and nobody seems to know why. It's just interesting. So what should you do? Well, snuck is most definitely a word. Things change, and snuck is a word just like chided is a word. If you're British, it's easier. You should probably just stick with sneaked. But if you're American, you may want to put more thought into what you're writing. If it's something more academic or formal, maybe stick with sneaked. But if you're writing a TV or a movie script or a novel and you want your characters to feel authentic and sound like people really talk, you should feel free to use snuck and don't worry about it not being a real word. 
finally, I have a familect story about basketball. My family loves basketball, and I missed getting this story out in time for March Madness. But I think you'll all still like it. This is Keith Muhammad from New York, and it starts a bit in the middle because he started by talking about March Madness, and since that's passed, I took it out. Knowing the language will help you better understand the game. Don't worry if you're new to the game. Search the internet, learn the definitions, join the madness. One basketball term you won't find is shant. It is indigenous to our household. In my family, a shant is a block shot. One Saturday, our daughter and two granddaughters stopped by our home for a visit. My wife and I were watching a basketball game when they joined us. Mind you, all four ladies are fanatical about women's basketball. About an hour before the game, I had been studying modal verbs and sharing what I learned with my wife. So when the defensive player blocked a shot attempt, my wife shouts, shot, you shall not make that shot in a British accent. Surprised and amused, our granddaughters looked at each other and laughed. Fast forward two weeks. We are at our oldest granddaughter's final high school basketball game. A player from the opposing team goes up for a shot. The defensive player swats the shot into the stands. My daughter jumps from her seat and yells, shot. From this day forward, a shot is a black shot in our family, a new term for an old practice. Thanks, Keith. How fun. With my American accent, I'd probably say shant instead of shant, like your wife with her British accent. But I can definitely see myself shouting shant the next time I see someone block a shot. That'll be fun. And in case any of you were wondering, shant is a contraction of the words shall not. You shall not make that basket. If you'd like to share your familect story, the story about a word that your family and only your family uses, you can leave a voicemail at 83-321-4-GIRL. And be sure to tell me why your family uses the word, because that's always the best part of the story. That's 83-321-4-GIRL, and you might hear your story on the show. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl and author of seven books, including the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. And thanks to my audio producer, Nathan Sams. This show is part of the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network, and you can find articles that go with each episode at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.